pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we continue in your presence, we are certainly thankful for who you are. You are a good and gracious and loving God. And Father, we have, many of us have experienced your goodness over this last week in the midst of all of the, just all of the things, the, the, the worries that we suffered, the, the, the burdens that were placed upon us in the midst of um, no power and no water and all of the different things. God, we have seen your goodness. And, and Father, what, what I'm thankful for today is that as your people, you've called us to be a part of extending your goodness to the world. And Father, we've been able to live that out this week. And so it's been an opportunity for us to remember who you are and how you call us to live. And, and I pray that you would continue to, to challenge us with that and, and help us to, to, to continue to be generous as we seek to be light in your world, to point people back to you. Because we know today that it's only because of our Savior Jesus who left the glories of heaven and came to this earth and was willing to lay down his life and die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. That's the only way that our, our hearts can be changed and we can have a relationship with you that lasts forever. And so, Father, as we're here, I pray that you would continue to speak to us this morning. We're grateful for all that you have done for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. You guys can grab a seat. It is good to see everyone today. It certainly has been a week. I mean, we've all experienced that. I think one of the things, though, that was so encouraging to me um, to see this over the last week is, is how many of you all were reaching out to, to neighbors and offering warm places or water or whatever it was. And so you guys absolutely had the opportunity to live out um, and the, the idea of being the hands and feet of Jesus this week. And then yesterday, for those of you that came and were a part of our food pantry, I think we served something like 450 families yesterday that came through. Um, and so we were able to provide um, food for them. And so thanks so much for doing that. If you are a guest with us today and I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve here as the lead pastor at the table. For those of you that are joining us online, thanks for being there as well. After the service this morning, if you are new with us or newer with us, um, looking for how to get connected or just to find more about, about the church, we're going to do... Again, we haven't come up with a better name yet, but a little meet and greet after the service where we'll just talk about a little bit more about who we are as a church and some next steps, some things that are happening, places that you can get connected and get to know um, people and, and, and different things like that. And so after the service this morning, we'll meet over here um, to my left, just up at the front, so you can kind of make your way there after the service. would love um, for you to stay with us um, for just a few minutes after the service. Obviously, in this service, it's, it's going to be a short time because we'll have a new crew coming in, um, in in just a little bit. So um, we'd love for you to do that. Last week, if you watched the service, um, it seems like it's been forever ago with all that has happened, but last week we finished our series called The Early Years. So Wayne finished that up for us. And so what we're going to do this year with in between each series, we're going to do a standalone message. But these standalone messages, if you were to keep track of all of them, are actually going to be together in a series of messages that we're calling Courageous Conversations. And so hopefully, if you have been around our church for any length of time at all, or hopefully you have noticed it on the way into this building because it is 
on the walls um, as you walk in, you have seen our identity statement. It's a little bit about who we are as a church, that we are a a courageous, bridge-building, mission-driven church where it's not about us. And so part of the idea of being courageous is that we're not afraid to talk about hard things, to talk about challenging subjects. We're, We're not afraid to challenge each other, push on each other a little bit so that we make sure that we are doing all that we can to live Christ-like lives in this world. And so with these courageous conversations, that's what we're going to do a little bit. We're going to push on each other uh, just a little bit. And so having said that, I want to maybe set some expectations, uh, maybe establish a few ground rules as well before we get into what we're talking about today. Because I think church should not be a place where we expect to come in and hear things that we're super comfortable with all the time. Our expectation shouldn't be that we come in and hear things that we just want to hear, that we're we're not going to hear things that make us uncomfortable, because I think every once in a while we need to hear things that make us a little bit uncomfortable. At the same time, you know, we've talked about this too, where sometimes we, we live in the echo chamber where all we do is hear from people who think like us, who see the world the same way that we do, and just all that does is simply reinforce opinions or preconceived ideas that we have had, right? So we, really what we want in almost every aspect of our lives is for people to say, yeah, you're right. And I don't know that that's a very good thing. I will tell you, I read often things from different people that I think I'm probably going to disagree with. When it comes to news, I try to watch or listen to news or read stories from a wide variety of news sources. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is I have to recognize I might not be right all the time. And so I need to hear from somebody that sees things differently than I do because maybe I need to change what I think or what I believe. At the same time, if after reading something from somebody that I might thought I might disagree with, I might realize, you know what, I, I, I'm more firm in my beliefs about something, but I feel like it helps me in terms of uh, understanding more clearly why I believe what I believe, maybe helps me to argue my position a little bit. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, but just the ability to to share what I believe and why I believe it more intelligently. See, the thing is, if all we ever do is exist in that echo chamber where all we're doing is listening to people who think the same thing that we do and see the world the same thing that we do. When we finally come up against somebody who might see things differently or might come from a different perspective and we finally get to dialogue with them about that, they may say something and then our only response is, nuh-uh, because we don't have any idea what they're talking about because we've never thought about it before. And so in this series, Maybe today you might hear something that you don't necessarily agree with. Or maybe you hear something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. And I want us to be okay with that. As we get started, here's what I I want you to do. I want you to think really critically about everything that I say today. And think about what it means, what it means for you, and what it means for how we live. Because today, the question that I'm going to try to answer is, what if America is not in the Bible? Now, in asking the question, I recognize that there could be lots of different thoughts that are going through your mind right now. 
at least three groups of people. There's one group that's saying, wait a minute, America's in the Bible? That would be crazy. Because you're not sure that it's there. There are others of you that are thinking, wait a minute, you mean there are people who think that America's not in the Bible? Because you're absolutely convinced that it is in the Bible, even though you may not know exactly where it is, you are sure that it is there somewhere. And then there's a third group of people who are saying, why should I care whether or not America is in the Bible? And because we are all over the place, as I ask that question, that's part of the reason we need to talk about this. At the same time, there are some other reasons that I think are honestly more important, too. In light of what we've been through in the last year, in light of what we have been through in the last week, with what can often be an obsession with end times events, and we live through all this stuff, we can begin to ask the questions, well, does this mean this, and does that mean that? Is this the end, or is, when is the end, or whatever it is? We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. But the most important reason I think that we need to talk about and try to answer this question, what if America is not in the Bible, is because of what took place on January the 6th, when a mob of protesters stormed the Capitol, seeking to overturn or at the very least delay the certification of the election of Joe Biden as President of the United States. And I'm sure that gathered on that day were people from various different perspectives or different reasons that caused people to go, different ideologies that led people there. But the, the reality is that there were some people in the crowd that day who were carrying flags that said Jesus 2020. Others carrying crosses. Some who were seen praying outside. And there was even a prayer inside the Senate chamber from some of the people who basically thanked God for the opportunity that they had. The reason that we have to talk about this is because there were some people who watched all of those events unfold and they asked themselves the question, is that Christian? Because if it is, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. So, what if America is not in the Bible? I think the place to start as we seek to answer that question is by asking the question, is America in the Bible? Short answer is no, it's not. There's no place where you'll find the word America, you won't find the words United States, you won't even find a, a clear allusion to America in the Bible because there's not a place that says something about the Eagle Nation or Eagle Empire or something like that. Those things are not there. See, the reality is that the Bible is an ancient book. The last book of the New Testament was written in, the scholars believe it was the book of Revelation, it was written in the early 90s. Not the 1690s, not the 1790s, just the 90s. So nearly 1,700 years before America existed. So the New Testament, the collection of books that was written, the latest, closest to our time, was written in the first century from a first century perspective. And so the known world at the time extended to Rome and a little bit into Western Europe. So there was nobody alive in the first century who was thinking, well, what is happening across the Atlantic Ocean? They didn't even know the Western Hemisphere existed. 
But some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. What about prophecy? Doesn't there have to be a prophecy about America in the Bible somewhere? And my answer to that is, if there is, it's certainly not clear. If you were to do a quick Google search, is America in the Bible? What you would find is that the most likely reference to America in the Bible is found in Ezekiel 38 in verse 13. So I'm going to read it in just a second. Before I do, I want you to know I'm going to read through several different passages today. They're all going to be on the screen as I read them, but if you are a YouVersion Bible app user, all of the verses are there um, in our live event, so you can follow along. So to get there, if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, down at the bottom, hit more on the next screen. I think it's about the third thing down that's events, and it's geolocated, so you should find ours uh, very quickly and be able to follow along. So Ezekiel 38, 13, this is the place where America is maybe, according to some people, is in the Bible. Here's what Ezekiel 38, 13 says. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your host to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, and to seize spoil? Now, Understand this, Ezekiel is a prophetic book. So the prophet Ezekiel, God speaking through Ezekiel, talking about things that are going to come in the future. Primarily, what Ezekiel is writing about is what God is going to do for Israel at some point in the future. But what I just read is the place that is the most likely reference to America in the Bible. And I was, I was watching some of your faces as I read it. You're thinking, I didn't see it. That's what I said. It's not very clear. Just so you understand the reference to what's happening, some scholars believe that Tarshish is a reference to Great Britain. And then all of its leaders would then be countries of the Western Hemisphere that would stand up to help and protect Israel at some point in the future. So again, if the prophecy is there, it is certainly not clear that America is in the Bible. Now some of you are going to say, well, wait a minute. I know there's a verse that gets quoted all the time in reference to America. And if you don't know what the reference is, it's 2 Chronicles 7.14, so you may not know the reference. But if you don't know the reference, I'm sure that you have heard at least part of the content of this verse. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this. This is the part you're going to remember. You're going to know this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So that verse is often used with the hashtag, pray for America, or something like that. But the question is, does 2 Chronicles 7.14, does it have anything to do with America? See, this is something we have to be really careful with because we do it all the time. We do it all the time, we don't even think about it. But we treat the Bible a lot like a fortune cookie. And I know that sounds really bad, but it's true. I, I think we do this all the time. What I mean by that is we take a verse, and it's really important to understand this too. All of the numbers in the Bible, the verses, they're not original. They were put in well after the fact to just help us find stuff. 
But what we do is we take a verse out of its context. We don't pay any attention about the world that it was written to. And where it says you, that means me. Where it says you all, that means us. But does 2 Chronicles 7.14 have anything to do with America? Let's understand it within its context. Because the context is God speaking to Solomon about the dedication of the temple. So King Solomon, which was Israel's third king, the son of David, Israel's greatest king, he was the one who was commissioned to build the temple, the place where the presence of God would dwell among his people in Jerusalem. And so what, in the context, you can go back and read the, the rest of the context, God is basically saying to Solomon, listen, I know the people are going to mess up. But don't worry, because this is in fact the place that I've chosen to dwell, for my presence to dwell among my people. I'm gonna, this is it. We're going to build the temple, that's where I'm going to be. You don't have to worry about that. But, Solomon, understand, the people are going to mess up. I know they're going to. But... If my people, Israel, will repent of their sin, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And there's a very specific reason why land is referenced. It's because God made a promise to Abraham, the father of Israel, and then through Israel to, or through Abraham to all of Israel, he gave them the promise of the land, the promised land. And so God is saying, if you repent of your sin, I will hear from heaven, and I will heal your land, Israel, so that you enjoy blessing in the land that I've promised you. So certainly contextually, it has nothing to do with America. But could it? Is there a way that we can take it and apply it in our world, in our situation today? we got to understand, that's good biblical scholarship is looking at a verse, a passage, an event, and understanding a principle that we can take out of its original context and apply it across the board, and then we figure out how to apply it in our lives, in our current situation. So is that possible with 2 Chronicles 7.14? The key terms in that verse, my people and my land. So in the Old Testament context, the people of God were the people of Israel, so the nation of Israel. So in our context today, who is the people of God? Or who are the people of God? I would submit it's not America, but it's the church. The church, we get a glimpse of this in the book of Revelation when we see people from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue gathering around the throne, giving worship to the Lamb. So the people of God today, in what we refer to as the New Testament era, it's not people that are limited to a certain geographical location or a certain place, but it's people, followers of Jesus, from every tribe, every people group across the world. So, if that's who my people are, then what would our land be? It can't be a country. It's got to be ultimately the earth. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't pray for America? No. We should absolutely pray for our country. 
We should pray and ask God to have his way in our country and, and have his way around us. But I think it's important for us to understand that maybe what God wants to do is not fulfill the promise of Second Chronicles 7.14. Like, if we do this, then God is going to do this. Because maybe instead of fixing the problems as we perceive them at any given time, God wants to see us as his church, the people, through those times. Now, somebody else is going to say, but wait a minute, what about all the end times stuff? If you have been around church for any length of time, all, going all the way back to the 70s, certainly through the 80s, and at least in the early part of the 90s, we know that America is a part of God's plan in the future because we've read about it in books, we have seen it in movies. Now, the reality is most scholars will say that Except in maybe a very veiled reference, America's not in the Bible. But a lot of people will say, God certainly has a future for America. And a lot of it goes back to how we understand end times events. What's going to happen in the future? Now the issue with end times events is that so often we simply interpret like the book of Revelation and all the things that are going to happen at the end of the world based on current events. Now, the issue with that is everybody's done that since the time of the first century. And at this point, they all have the same outcome. They've all been wrong. And so my question is, well, what if we're not supposed to understand or always interpret end times events based on what's currently in the news cycle? But then other people will say, well, okay, maybe that's all true, but based on the prosperity that we have seen in this country, it, there's the only way that we could have done, have the prosperity that we have, is because God's hand was blessing our country. Maybe. Maybe that's true, but yet at the same time, you can go back through human history, even biblical history, and I could point to empires and countries that for periods of time had a great deal of prosperity, and nobody would look at them and say, the reason that they experienced prosperity is because they were doing everything that God wanted them to do. So I don't know whether or not America's in the Bible, but here's what I do know. That if you are convinced that America is in the Bible, it's really easy to exchange a new mission for the true mission. We could so easily exchange a new mission for the true mission where we begin to think how do we fix or maintain America, depending on how we see it at the time, versus the real mission, the true mission, which is to reach people. That's what we've been called to do. And so for just a couple of minutes, I want to talk a little bit about our mission and then its implications for us as we live in the world. So our mission is to go make disciples. We see it most clearly in what's referred to as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is Jesus gathered with his disciples, and he tells them, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Our mission is is and has always been to reach people. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. 
And so the movement that Jesus started, it's not limited to just one area or one location, but it is a movement to reach the world. And we see it again in Acts 1.8, where Jesus said to his disciples again, as they were gathered just before he ascended back to heaven, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. See, our mission is to reach people from all countries, all people groups in the world. It's not, it's a multinational movement to reach people. So our responsibility as followers of Christ is to live out that mission, to point people back to Jesus because he's the one that can change our hearts. And then as we point people back to Jesus, we help them to understand what life in Jesus is really all about. That's the mission. And anything else that we do has to fall underneath of that. Now, it creates some challenges for us because we do live in the world. We have to figure out how to interact with the world around us and interact with people. And thankfully, the Word of God, the Bible, gives us some instructions on how to do that too. In the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. This is the Apostle Paul writing, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the instructions of Paul to the church at Rome is, listen, here's what you do as you interact with people around you. You do the very best that you can to live at peace with everybody. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, what's the context, right? I said before, context is really important. I don't want to just take those verses out of its context. What's the context? The Apostle Paul is writing to believers, followers of Christ, living in the city of Rome. And Rome at the time was anti-Christian. Now, physical suffering and persecution probably hadn't yet broken out when Paul wrote that letter, but it was coming. And so in a world that was hostile to everything that they believed, Paul says, listen, here's what you do. You seek to live at peace with everybody. You do everything that you can, though people may hate you, make their hate look stupid because of how good you are to other people. Make their hate not make sense because of how you live with other people around you. So let's take that and apply it to our situation. If, just for the sake of argument, we believe that everything in the world is against us, what do we do? We seek to live at peace with all people. And we find people that are hungry, and we feed them regardless of how they feel about us. When we find people who are thirsty, we give them something to drink regardless of how they feel about us. We live in such a way that though people may hate us, their hate doesn't make any sense because of how we love other people. See, our mission is to reach people. We cannot forget that. And so our mission is not to to seek to bring about Christianity through strength or power or might. It is simply to love people towards Jesus. And I would even argue that maybe we're not even supposed to get too wrapped up in what happens in our country. Because we've experienced an exchange of citizenship. Philippians chapter 3, 
verses 17 through 21. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing to a different church located in the city of Philippi. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. With mindset on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The key phrase in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And as you hear that, I want you to think very literally about that phrase. Don't think it's just this metaphorical thing that sounds really nice. Think literal. Because when we come to faith in Christ, there is a sense in which we have a, an exchange of citizenship so that our citizenship is in heaven. And so what that means for us who are followers of Christ, that we represent heaven. And we must represent the values of the kingdom of heaven well here on earth. That's what we're supposed to do, representing the character of Christ in all that we do because that is where we are from. That is where our citizenship is. Now, again, this creates challenges for us because we live in an already not yet state. What I mean by that is there is a sense in which we are already citizens of heaven, but we're not living there yet because we're still citizens of the United States. And so that creates some conflict sometimes. Like how do we go about doing things or maybe changing laws and things like that? And you can think about how that plays itself out in your own life, but I would say this, whatever it is, you know that you must represent the kingdom of heaven well. That's where your first citizenship is. So you represent Jesus well in all that you do. So I can say, that things are Christian. I can put the name of Jesus on something, but if it doesn't line up with his character and the values of his kingdom, it is not Christian. So we have to make sure as we live in this world to not exchange a new mission for the true mission because our mission is to reach people. And going back to that original question, what if America is not in the Bible? If America is in the Bible or if it's not in the Bible, you know what? I have to live in the same way. It doesn't make any difference in how I live my life, how we are to live our lives, because we are called to reach people as citizens of heaven. And as we do that and engage the world around us, we do so with love and grace, seeking to live at peace with everyone. So here's the challenge. As you talk to people, and I would say I would highly encourage you talk face-to-face -face with people and not just what you do on social media and Facebook. But we have the opportunity in these moments, in some ways because of the events of the last week, we have an opportunity to represent Jesus well in this world, to point people back to Jesus. Let's not worry about all the other things that, that we can view as being problems that need to be solved. That's not our concern. Because we've been called as followers of Jesus to reach people. And so when people are hungry, let's give them something to eat. And when they're thirsty, 
Let's give them something to drink. They may be against us, but let's make their hate not even make sense because of how good we are to them. That's what we've been called to do. We've been called to reach people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks for the instruction in your word that helps us to understand how to live in a complicated world. And so, Father, I pray for all of us that you would help us to understand what it means to live as citizens of heaven and help us to represent you well in every interaction that we have. That we would point people back to Jesus and that, Father, through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would draw people to yourself. We would see hearts changed and lives changed as a result of what you've done for us. But again, Father, help us to represent you well. Help us to live out the mission that you've called us to, the true mission to reach people. Thanks for allowing us to be a part of your work in ministry. Thanks for the hope that we have because of Jesus. Thanks for seeing us through everything, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're right there with us. You never leave us or forsake us. Thanks for the hope that we have because of that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.